Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined on this Monday edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast with Ryan Callahan. We have made our way back to Knoxville. I have made my way back to Knoxville from Wisconsin, where Tennessee basketball picked up a very impressive road win against the Badgers. And uh, Wes Rucker and I will be back later on this Monday with a basketball podcast to talk about that win and preview the week ahead but we're on this podcast because ryan has made his way back from mighty columbia missouri what a trip that was that did not go well for tennessee and we are going to put a bow on that loss for tennessee as it heads into uh, yet another big week as it hosts georgia this saturday inside of neyland stadium ryan have you recovered from embarking on the trip that is the one to como do you ever fully recover from that one? I, I don't know. That's a that's a that's a haul, uh, and it feels longer because of the part of the country you drive through. But yeah, no, it, it was it was uh, it was fine. Uh, I'm sure the Tennessee fans who made the trip were uh, were, were were pretty miserable. I, I was thinking back on this though not not many competitive games in, in in that series. The first one went to overtime in Knoxville. That one was like 51 48 or something. But since then, I think there's only been maybe two one possession games in that series just seems like it's always one sided uh, one way or the other. And it, it, it depends on just most years, which one's the better team. And I, I guess this year it looks like Missouri uh, will end up having the better season, but just a uh, weird, weird day and always a, uh, always a bit of a weird trip. And, you know, the only positive, I guess, is at least it wasn't a night game where it was 25 degrees the way it was uh, a couple times when we were there before. Absolutely. It, it is a, a really weird series for that reason. A very back and forth and it's super competitive in the sense of I believe now the series is tied after Missouri's win on yep. Saturday I want to say both teams are have won six, six. and six yep. yep six and six uh so it's it's been competitive in that sense but not a lot a ton of competitive games within the series for sure uh, we've got a lot to discuss here on the podcast like I said number one Georgia is coming to town uh, and and I recognize that uh, Georgia is not technically ranked number one uh, in the college football playoff rankings and, and doesn't look like they'll be number one on Tuesday night when uh, the next round of rankings are released. But in my mind, they're, they're the number one team in the country. Uh, and, and now after beating Ole Miss the way that it did and uh, beating a, a really good Missouri football team uh, at home, uh, beating Florida, uh, beating Kentucky, like there, there was that beginning of the season where everybody was like, uh, "Is Georgia taking a step back?" And, and I think at this point, it's safe to say that they have not. Uh, so even if 
Michigan or Ohio State or this team, that team technically has a, a slightly better resume uh, than Georgia on paper. I, I'm still viewing Georgia as the number one team in the country, and the coaches poll uh, views it the same way. The AP poll views it the same way, uh, and I, I think it'll end up playing out that way as well. And and we will get into the Georgia conversation before we get out of here today, uh, but need to put a bow on the Missouri win or the Missouri loss, excuse me, and also hit some notes from Josh Heupel's Monday press conference. And and we'll start there before we transition back to the Missouri game and then back <laughs> to the press conference, kind of doing a little uh, musical chairs here, but uh, do need to talk about Dante Thornton right off the bat in this podcast. Ryan, he is going to miss the rest of the regular season, uh, made a terrific touchdown catch on Saturday off of a nice Joe Milton touchdown pass. And uh, unfortunately, in the midst of of making that catch, uh, his lower body kind of got caught up underneath him, and that has resulted in a injury that is going to cost him uh, the rest of his regular season. Josh Eiple said on Monday that they will see, once they get into the postseason, once they get into bowl practice, what his availability looks like. But given that it's mostly going to be a meaningless a bowl game with not a ton on the line. I, I wonder if we'll see Dante Thornton again this season. Yeah, and that, I, I would say that possibility is on the table, just just regardless, unless it's a relatively minor injury. I mean, even if it's a you know an ankle sprain or something like that, a lot of ankle sprains would would put you out six weeks if they're serious enough, or at least would have him you know on the fence for that bowl game. So a lot of possibilities that would lead to him you know sitting out that bowl game either way. So yeah, I think I would say there's a real chance we don't see him again this season, but for his sake, you certainly uh, would hope there's a chance he can get back for the bowl game because he did seem to be starting to put it together. I don't think he was that close to just breaking through, but that touchdown catch, you know, obviously his finest moment of the season, uh, you know, had made a few big plays though throughout the year, just was much too hit and miss. And it's uh, obviously a tough injury for him uh, because he, he does need to start to put things together and uh, be on a, a, better footing going into next season because he's obviously going to have to come back. Uh, there was, you know, some thought coming in when he arrived at Tennessee that he might be a one and done type player with that kind of explosiveness and potential in this offense. It hasn't worked out that way. Don't see him getting drafted this year. So he he should be back and you know, he needs to, he needs to have a good year next year. He needs to take a Jalen Hyatt type jump uh, from year one to year two in Tennessee's offense. So it's a, it's a real setback for him. And in the short term, at least, it's a very real challenge for Tennessee's depth at wide receiver. I mean, this is pretty dicey now. And I, you know, I kind of, I, I told some people before the season, I thought wide receiver depth would be an issue for Tennessee at some point. I didn't know in what form and, and when and how, how, how long it might be, but injuries tend to find you at the position where you're, uh, where, where you're lacking depth the most. And wide receiver always felt like a position to me that was just precariously thin for Tennessee. And now here, here they are going into the final two games of the regular season and what five or six scholarship guys, depending on how you look at it, it's just not a, not a great situation now. And, and you're going to have to find some answers there and see if you can kind of duct tape it together and get something out of it because this offense obviously needs to have some semblance of a passing game to be, uh, to be good enough to certainly beat Georgia. Uh, but even to take care of Vanderbilt, you're going to need to throw the ball some and, and you would think uh, that they've got at least some decent options there, but you know, squirrel white, Ramel Keaton, those guys have got to carry the load, and then you got to see what you can get out of everybody else at that position. It, it might be a situation where even Nathan Leacock gets a chance to to play a little more. You know, we'll, we'll see what they do, but it's kind of all hands on deck at that position down the stretch here. Absolutely, and and it's very very thin. That there is no doubt about that. <laughs> there, there just aren't a ton of bodies uh, whatsoever, uh, especially scholarship bodies. I, like it would not surprise me if if Jack Jancic came in the game and 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 made a play like I don't think he's your typical walk-on receiver I, I think he's better than that label uh, but at the end of the day he he still is a, a walk-on for for a reason uh, and, and Nathan Laycock unfortunately for him in Tennessee he's not been able to to contribute as a true freshman uh, so you, you certainly lack in bodies I I, th- I think it's a good thing that it's happening this late in the season. Obviously, you had the hurdle to clear uh, with Brew McCoy, and, and they probably cleared it better than I anticipated, uh, and, and that's because 
Uh, Dante Thornton had gotten going there a, a little bit more than he was. Uh, Chaz Nimrod had had really continued to contribute. Uh, Ramel Keaton's just been very inconsistent this season. You, you just don't really know what you're going to get from him game to game. Uh, Squirrel White has been the model of consistency. I think he's had a really nice season. So, yes, you are thin on numbers, Ryan, but given where you are in the season, you really just need to get through this football game uh, because, I mean, you could roll out Jack Jancic as a starter against Vanderbilt and, and still beat them. I mean, you could just run the football on, on every single play against Vanderbilt and, and still win that game and, and probably comfortably. So, and the bowl game is going to be what the bowl game is. I mean, at this point, it's going to be Music City Bowl, maybe going down to Jacksonville. Uh, for, sure, for surely time. they wouldn't. Surely they wouldn't send him to Nashville for a second time this year. But yeah, Jacksonville, Charlotte, somewhere like that. Yes, that that I agree with you. I, I would kind of be surprised if they went back. But I was more so just speaking to that kind of grouping, that that tier of a of a bowl game. And like you, you, you just got to kind of make do at that point with, with what you have anyways, especially in today's college football era of not knowing who's going to transfer or declare for the draft, sit out for the draft, things uh, along that nature. That And that won't really apply to this receiver room uh, unless a guy like Romel Keaton decided to, but I, I don't know why he would sit out of a bowl game after he's had a disappointing season. I, I think a bowl game could only help his stock. So you really just have to get through this Georgia game is the point that I'm I'm getting to. And another positive, you, you've seen Score White be consistent. Chaz Nimrod, he's made plays. I thought Caleb Webb played really well against Missouri. I, I thought he made, what, three catches uh, against the Tigers and and I thought all three of them were were pretty difficult catches just kind of given the the different circumstances on each play. Yeah, I, I agree and and put me in the camp that would like to see more of Caleb Webb in this in this next uh next game next two games down the stretch here uh because I I've been really intrigued by what we've seen. He still I think struggles to create separation at times, but he's that guy that has the natural ball skills, has the size, has has the speed I think too. To, to make some good plays in the passing game and it, he's shown up at times. So I, I, I would, I will, I personally would like to see Tennessee just plug him into the starting lineup and, and go from there. But we've seen them start Chaz Nimrod, you know, we'll, we'll see what they decide to do here. You know, of course, a lot of people would love to see more of, of D Williams. I'm sure he hasn't gotten much more than a cameo on offense at this point. You know, he could maybe help there some we'll, we'll, we'll see. So uh, it, it's, it's to that point though, you know, not, not a whole lot of options left. But yeah, I, I liked what Caleb Webb uh, got done on Saturday in, in, a, in a tough spot there, and uh, thought you know in, in a couple games this year he has shown up. So I, I would personally like to see a lot more from him here down the stretch and see see what he's capable of doing. And it's it's maybe a big opportunity for him too because obviously Mike Matthews coming in, Braylon Staley coming in in the 2024 class for Tennessee. Uh, you, you would think they might you know still be interested in looking in the transfer portal for somebody else. We'll, we'll see about that, but. You know, th- this might be a big opening for him to sort of establish himself as one of those guys that they can count on next year. So we'll, we'll see what he can do here down the stretch. But I-, I think he's shown enough to to warrant more opportunities in these final games. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I, I think the the good news for the people that that want to see Caleb Webb and, and want to see more D Williams is Tennessee doesn't really have a choice now. <laughs> They're going to have to to play those guys just because they are limited. Uh, on on bodies uh, there's there's just no other option really um, but it, it will also provide possibly a, a nice uh, stepping stone in into next season for for those younger guys uh, because that that position there, there's a huge question mark over it going into the offseason uh, what does Brew McCoy decide to do uh, you, you do get Dante Thornton back but how much can he improve uh, this offseason, is he capable uh, of making a, a Jalen Hyatt type of step from year one to year two? Not necessarily winning the Bolitnikoff Award, but just being somebody that Tennessee can really rely upon. Uh, how much does score white grow? And, and then really not even score white, but how much does Chaz Nimrod and Nathan Laycock and Caleb Webb grow? That that probably determines the success of the receiver room uh, next year, as as you'll also add Braylon Stalen. Braylon Staley and, and and Mike Matthews and and likely bring in a guy from the transfer portal, but um, you know, not a great circumstance as you head into number one Georgia. But there are some positives to to take away. And and at this point of the season, you're out of the SEC East contention. 
uh, it, it is somewhat about building towards next season and, and these circumstances, although unfortunate as it relates to this Saturday's game, will, will help them do that. Uh, Ryan, one thing I've been pondering since Saturday's loss to Missouri is what is this Tennessee football team in terms of is it a good football team? Because on, on one hand, they're, they're they've they've got seven wins. Uh, and and they can get to they're probably going to finish eight and four, which that's not a bad year, um, but it, it's also not a, a great year by Tennessee football standards. But it, it's a really solid year. There's no denying that. But w- what's making me ponder this question is they haven't really beaten anybody this year, w- w- which makes me question uh, how good they are. And and I don't pose this to diminish beating A&M and, and beating Kentucky and um, beating South Carolina. You, you still handled your business. Uh, those are teams that maybe not your, your top tier rivals, but you enjoy seeing if you're a Tennessee fan, you, you enjoy seeing Shane Beamer kick the cooler or talk about kicking the cooler that broke his foot or something along those lines. And you always enjoy beating Kentucky in anything. And, Texas A&M still has a ton of talent. So, like, there are positive things to take away from those wins. But on the other hand, if I want to be Mr. Negativity, Tennessee hasn't beaten anybody this year. South Carolina is not a good football team. Virginia is not a good football team. Austin P, UTSA, you're always going to beat those teams. A&M, they just fired their coach. They're, they're willing to pay $74 million to get rid of Jimbo Fisher. Uh, Kentucky, they are very overrated this season, even by Mark Stoops standards. Uh, and, and then UConn is UConn. So Alabama, Missouri, they're better football teams than you this season. Georgia the same way. And, and then you really squandered an opportunity at Florida early in the season. I, I just kind of, you know, last week coming out of UConn and Kentucky, I was kind of hyping this football team up, quite honestly, talking about how good of a football team they are. And, and we'll see it how good they are going into Missouri and Georgia. But in hindsight, I just kind of think that this is an average football team right now. It sounds like you, uh, and this is, this surprises me a little bit. I'll be honest, spent part of your Sunday thinking a little bit like I did uh, as I drove home Sunday about, you know, just sort of the, the, the 30,000 foot view of this team in this season. And, and I kind of arrived at the same conclusion you did uh, not, not to sound super negative about this team, but I, I think this is one of those years where, the SEC East not being very good sort of just worked in Tennessee's favor and, and has propped them up a little bit. The order of the schedule, frankly, has worked out in their favor, allowed them to start off seven and two and be in the top 15 going into the final three games of the season. If you played Georgia or Missouri earlier in the season, then then maybe you're six and three going into this this final three game stretch. And it feels a little different. You know, instead, it felt like Tennessee was, you know, hey, one more thing falls their way and suddenly you're playing Georgia for the division title. So. I think they they benefited from the scheduling for sure, uh, and it's yeah, it's a team that's that just has some limitations. It just does. Um, the Florida game kind of kind of showed me that early in the year, but I still didn't know what to make of it. And then they come out and beat South Carolina, who I think we all thought at the time was a decent team, at least not a terrible team. And it turns out they're closer to terrible than they are decent, probably not very good. And so that win, you know, maybe maybe led you to think there was more possible for this team. And then they beat a Texas A&M team that looked pretty good at the time. But when you look back on it now, yeah, I mean, they're, they're key. They're, they're land their their finest moments of the season are a seven point win over Texas A&M, which, which just fired its coach and a six point win at Kentucky. And when you look back on it, that win over South Carolina doesn't look too impressive. You know, they took care of business one by 21, but doesn't look that impressive. And you've got three double digit losses in conference play to go along with that, including one to a Florida team that looks like it's headed to, toward a five and seven finish as long, as long as they don't upset Missouri on the road this week. So yeah, I, I'm kind of left thinking the, the the way you are, that this is a team that obviously took a little bit of a step back this year. I think we all kind of felt that was possible. It ends up being a little bit bigger step back unless they upset Georgia this week that, than I expected because I, I did predict nine and three. I, I didn't see them losing to Florida and Missouri. You know, I didn't, none of us predicted them uh, that they would lose to Florida, but certainly for them to lose a couple of those types of games, Missouri obviously ended up being better than I thought they would. Not surprising, I guess, that somebody emerged from that SEC East mess and, and became sort of that second best team in the division. But 
I didn't see it being Missouri, but they lose a couple of those games. And now you're left with an eight and four team that, you know, is not, not nearly as good as what you had last year, but still good enough to win a few sec games and, and probably four, it looks like uh, barring an upset of Georgia. And that's a, it's not a bad team, but yeah, it's certainly not a, not a great team. And it's a step back from what you had last year. And it's going to at least raise some questions. You know, some of them will probably be too, too negative and too, aimed at sort of the overall direction of the program, whereas I thought this was always a transition year for Tennessee. But it does raise some questions going into next year about just sort of how far can you bounce back next year? And is this, you know, is this something Tennessee is going to have to just continue to fix the roster to climb out of? Were there some things that on, on the coaching end that could have made this team better? You know, why exactly did they fall short is I think the question a lot of people are going to be asking themselves now. So I think they do feel a little bit confused about what they saw the first two months of the season now in hindsight. Yeah, and you know, that that that's a really difficult conversation and and one that I'm I'm sure we will have plenty of over the course of the offseason. But I, I I do feel and I, I've said this many times and, and I'm sure there there are listeners who hate this opinion and, and don't want to hear it, but there there is still an element to Tennessee rebuilding. Uh just Yep. Just because of how disastrous of a situation and how ugly of a situation Josh Heupel took well, over. Well, let's call it what it is. They, Josh Heupel has chosen to rebuild gradually instead of doing the Deion yes. Sanders way. And he's chosen culture over trying to just load up as much talent on the roster as possible and just hope it all sticks together. And last year it worked. This year, that gamble may have been a little bit too more, too heavy on the culture side over talent. But regardless, you had enough talent to win maybe eight games, nine games in the SEC. It just it's going to work out to be probably eight and four. But yeah, he's he's bet on culture, and it's maybe something they'll have to assess going forward as to how they how they want to you know sort of recalibrate if at all. Right, and and like for instance, I I look at the linebacker room, and everybody's very frustrated with Elijah Herring, and and I get it. He he played very poorly on Saturday. But he's he's still a true sophomore playing SEC football as a young guy and going up against a, a talented Missouri offense. And they got the best of him. A, a veteran, talented Missouri offense got the best of a young SEC linebacker. And, you know, he is next to Aaron Beasley. But when Arion Carter is out for the season, uh, which kind of flew under the radar, over the weekend, we we can touch on that a little bit later, but you're already without Arion Carter, and I thought Arion what was kind of struggling as well, just because he's a young guy. You you got Jeremiah Tlander, who's a freshman, Caleb Perry, who's a redshirt freshman. That's where you really miss Keenan Peely in his absence and and what he could have provided this season. It's just I I feel like this loss is, and I don't want this to sound too participant patient trophy e <laughs> right here uh and and hand out stickers or, or whatnot I'm, I'm really not trying to do that but I, I do feel like some fans are making this loss worse than it is the 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 final score was ugly and they're down the stretch in the second half it was ugly but what i'm saying is in terms of the team you lost to it's it's not a horrific event in the josh hypo timeline uh, Missouri's a really good football team, and I, I think people need to give Missouri credit for being a really good football team. That that Missouri team that beat Tennessee on Saturday is not a Missouri football team that was coached by Barry Odom. And some of the Missouri teams early in the Drinkwitz area era that lacked talent and, and whatnot. That that Missouri team has a ton of talent and a ton of depth. Like they are truly one of the top ten, top fifteen teams in the country, and just losing on the surface alone to that team, that there's not a whole lot of shame within that. It's not like losing to a bad Vanderbilt team, a bad Kentucky team, a bad Missouri team, bad South Carolina team. And I feel like that's how people are viewing it. And that's because expectations are high. And I do get that. But the, the, that had a little bit to, to do with it. You know, Eli Drinkwitz is more established in his tenure at Missouri than Josh Heupel is. And you saw some veteran football players make a lot of plays for them in that game. And, and people want to talk about coaching at linebacker and, other positions and it's like well you're relying on a ton of young guys outside of Aaron Beasley and even in the secondary I know everybody wants to fire Willie Martinez right now but I, I think when you talk about those hard questions going into the offseason Ryan 
you got to get some of those veterans who have been around a while. You, you, you just got to get them out of here at the, at this point, uh, if we're being brutally honest. Uh, and start to develop Jordan Matthews and, and Ricky Gibson and, and Christian Conyers. And I think, like, again, wanting Willie fired is is just a, a little too much, most likely, because, like, Kamal Haddon has gotten better under Willie Martinez. Gabe Judy Lally has contributed uh, this season. We, we've seen Jordan Thomas kind of start to emerge. Wesley Walker has gotten better. Tamarion McDonald has gotten better. But there's some other veterans that, that they they just need to kind of get out of the way, quite frankly, and allow those younger guys to start developing so this defense can finally truly take that next step. Well, and that, that sort of goes back to to my previous point. You know, this this staff and sort of everything that they have built so far has been built on culture, and that usually involves not running off players in, in hopes of an inf- getting an influx of talent. They're eventually going to have to ask themselves that question, I think, about how much they want to sort of keep things together because there is a – let me prepare you for it, folks. There is a very real possibility that two or more of those veterans in, at cornerback return next year because Gabe Judy Lally has another year of eligibility. Danico Slaughter has another year of eligibility. Brandon Turnage has another year of eligibility. At least two of those guys, at least, could easily return, if not all three. So you might be looking at a secondary that's very similar unless this staff makes an active choice to go in a different direction, to your point, Ben. So eventually they're going to have to maybe maybe ask themselves some tough questions if they need to upgrade the roster, if they need to sort of create room for some young guys to learn on the job and give this team maybe a little more upside as opposed to veteran know-how which it seems to, they they've leaned on veterans knowing what to do and where to be and and team culture and chemistry and continuity and it's worked out okay so far the results have been pretty good and let's face it Tennessee's relevant on a national level in a way they haven't been in a while so they've got it's gotten them this far but now the question about how to take the next step might be okay does talent have to be prioritized more so than keeping veterans around who just are maybe okay players that know what to do. And, and eventually that's a, each position's different. Not every position is Tennessee handled it the same way. You know, just for, for instance, on the offensive line, they're going to be begging those guys to stay. You want Cooper Mays to stick around. You'd love Javante Spragans to come back because otherwise that position might look totally different next year. And you might be begging for starters in the transfer portal because they're hard to find. Uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a program that's got to figure out what the next step is. Is it guys already on this roster? Do they need to bring in more talent to sort of, you know, push things along? It, it's going to be in, an interesting discussion to me because I do wonder if, you know, sort of what we saw Saturday and even at Florida earlier this year, where I thought the talent on Tennessee's roster it didn't they didn't look better than Florida, and they certainly weren't better than Missouri uh, across the board. To your point, Ben, and they've had some injuries. Brew McCoy, Kamal Haddon, those are significant injuries. Keenan Peely, you know, guys out that would play a lot of football for Tennessee in a game like that. And that adds up. Um, But yeah, at the end of the day, you've got to keep making this roster better. And it is still year three. And it always felt like a transition year to me. And I guess that's why, because they still have so many veterans that to me sort of limit the ceiling of this team a little bit more so than people might have realized going into the year. Yeah, and, and I will say quickly about the secondary. Like, I, I do think it would be a positive thing if if it gave Judy Lally and, and a Danico Slaughter returned. I, I, I think those are better than average football players. Like, I, I do think that they contribute uh, to winning. I, I think Gabe Judy Lally has been really, really solid this season. I, I really do. Yeah. Uh, and can be, continue to be a bridge player until those three young guys, in addition to everybody else they're bringing in, are truly ready. And and even Danico Slaughter, like he's he's been slowed down by a toe injury this year and, and hasn't really played to the level that we all thought that he would uh, entering the season. But like I, I still view Danico coming back. I think that would be a real positive thing. I, I believe he is a, a winning football player in this league. Maybe look at him as more of a safety than a true corner, but that that's also an offseason conversation but but there's some other guys sprinkled in some old guys who have been around that aren't contributing like a Gabe Judy Lally or a Danique Danico Slaughter that 
you may want to look at it and say, okay, it's 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 probably time to to, to move on and, and try to open the the door to to younger guys, quite frankly, especially with how many young guys they have brought in the last two years. I mean, they brought in several defensive backs last year, uh, are bringing in several this offseason. And and I don't mean to harp on the secondary and the linebackers. Uh, th- this applies to, to many areas on the football team, which goes to my overall opinion. And again, I know that some people won't like this, but just because of how far it had fallen by the time Jeremy Pruitt was fired, it was going to take four to five years, in my opinion, to form a well-rounded roster than two to three. Yeah, unless, unless again, you went all in on the portal, and even then, that's if it worked, right? That's the hard part about the portal is it doesn't always work. Deion Sanders has shown that. You know, they started off like gangbusters, and now they're just looking okay, aren't they? So it's not easy to fix a team like that from the portal, but it does give you an option to supplement a rebuild, speed up the rebuilding process. So they maybe could have leaned heavier on that. But regardless, yeah, I think they've taken a, I think they've taken a good, smart approach to the transfer portal for the most part because it is so hit and miss. You don't know the person you're getting a lot of times. You don't want to just bring in somebody who doesn't fit because I think they've done that a couple of times. And they have mostly gotten guys that fit in well and have given them what they expected or wanted and some guys who've exceeded expectations. You know, I think they're happy with John Campbell this year and, you know, Gerald Mincy's, you know, been a starter on the offensive line. So they've they've made some nice pickups there. But yeah, w- without leaning more into the transfer portal, I think they've gotten at it, you know, is they've gotten good production out of these first three years. I mean, who who saw when Josh Heupel was hired, Tennessee winning what, 26 games before the end of year three? We're probably looking at 27 or 28 wins by the time this year is over. That's a pretty darn good three-year stretch there, especially given what he inherited. Now it's how do you take it to the next level, though? How, how do you make those 10-win seasons become a recurring thing? And, and don't forget, the biggest piece of all of this, Tennessee's already got. They've got a young, exciting quarterback that immediately, I think, elevates your ceiling, gives you a chance to compete with anybody you play on any given day if he's as good as advertised, right? So if Nico Iamaliava comes in and is as good as advertised, Tennessee's going to get, you know, possibly get a, a guy like Brew McCoy back next year or or if not, you're going to have somebody pretty talented stepping in there. He's going to have weapons around him. That That's that's a, a good situation, and, and that's not saying Joe Milton's been the problem, but it gives you a chance. And so you've still got help right there in the pipeline. Other Lots of other young players on the roster, guys like David Hobbs, Caleb, Caleb Herring, that, that are going to be good for this team in the future. Those cornerbacks you mentioned, Arion Carter. Get those guys ready. Keep bringing them along, and this team can be a lot better next year, two years from now, but they've got to figure out what, what's the best way to get to that next step. And is there anything that needs to be adjusted a little bit now as a result of what we've seen this season? It's at least a question they've got to ask, I think going into the off season for what should be a pretty important transfer portal season coming up. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And again, that that's, I know fans are frustrated right now and, and I am not at all saying that there aren't reasons to be, concerned frustrated uh th- there I, are serious questions that that need to be asked this offseason and i'm sure josh eipel being the competitive smart football coach that he is i'm sure that he will he will do that and my overall thought is, is that it's just it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems and, and i think this weekend really speaks to it not being as bad as it seems yeah. And, and and a lot of people I know already kind of looking sort of in, in relation to the talent discussion at the coaching staff and wondering if there's some tweaks, changes that need to be made. Seen a lot of premature discussion on that. I, I, I wouldn't go into this offseason expecting a staff overhaul. I just I just wouldn't. Willie Martinez has an expiring contract. You know, we'll see what happens with that situation. Otherwise, all these guys are on multi-year contracts. Josh Heupel's not the type to run off, or at least to this point, hasn't been the type to run off guys from his staff, much like with his roster. I, I would largely expect this staff to remain intact, but you know that's that's sort of where where things are when when fans start to see games that don't look so pretty. And this you know seven points, the lowest of the Josh Heupel era, obviously uh, on offense. People people are going to have questions and concerns. I, I get it, but I'm just putting that out there. I, I wouldn't necessarily expect to see a bunch of coaching changes this offseason. Yeah, especially 
in terms of fan frustration, you're you're going to go eight and four most likely in the regular season when you probably should have gone nine and three or better. Uh, that that's just not going to set a a great temperature uh, for the off season, and we will certainly have plenty of conversations as we get into the off season. Just two more weeks of the regular season. Uh, that Vanderbilt game next Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday after Thanksgiving. I'm sure we will have a podcast discussion or two on possible coaching changes, staff changes, and uh, whether or not Josh Heupel should make staff changes. So there will be plenty of time for that. In the meantime, Ryan Callahan and I are going to take a break and come back on the other side and discuss the Missouri loss a little more in detail rather than big picture as we have discussed here in the first half of the podcast. And, And then we'll briefly touch on Georgia before we get out of here today. But first, we do need to catch a break, and we will do that right now on the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get even softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus 15% off your first order with code Odyssey. So head to B-O-L-L and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back into the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined by Ryan Callahan on this Monday edition of the podcast coming off of Tennessee's loss to Missouri and ahead of this Saturday's big game between Tennessee and number one Georgia. Still plenty more to discuss here on the podcast, but before we get into those things, would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcast. And if you don't, Mind when you encounter a Tennessee fan in public, even if you know them or not, please let them know about the podcast. That is the best way you can help help us grow here at Go Vols 24-7, and we would greatly appreciate it. Ryan, I, I feel the most disappointing aspect of Saturday's game at Missouri was that Missouri bullied Tennessee in what Tennessee does best. Tennessee could not run the football despite entering the game with the SEC's best rushing attack. And then Cody Schrader and the rest of the Tigers ran it right down Tennessee's throat defensively, which is what they've defended best defensively all season. Yeah, that that was the part about this game that I miscalculated the most. And by the way, back to my earlier point, eight out of 12 games in this series have been decided by 23 points or more. I went back and looked. So it it is a a very weird series that somehow tied six, six, but produces very few good games. Uh, But yeah, this one, this one was a blowout in a way that I didn't foresee uh, going into it because Missouri just ran down their throats. I mean, 35 carries for 205 yards for Cody Schrader, you know, Tennessee obviously entered the game with the number one rushing defense in the sec. They had done a really good job against Ray Davis uh, just a couple of weeks earlier at Kentucky. So I thought this was a game where Missouri would have, would would beat Tennessee throwing the ball if they were going to win this game. I, I, or that Brady Cook with his legs and his arm combined would beat Tennessee. And and sure, he made his share fair share of plays too and threw for 275, ran for 55. But that wasn't necessarily the difference in the game. I, Tennessee just had no answer overall for Cody Schrader. So 
Uh, I was, I, I underestimated clearly Missouri's offensive line uh, and just how much better they might be uh, in, a, in a head-to-head matchup with Tennessee's defensive line. Just surprised that they got kind of pushed around up front that way. And, and also Missouri's, uh, Missouri's defensive line. They didn't let Tennessee's running, running game get started. Um, I, I, I will say this about Tennessee's offense, because obviously at the end of the day, it's hard to overcome finishing with seven points and they couldn't even score late to, to, to add to that. So no matter what Missouri did offensively, Tennessee was going to have to score more points to win. And they just didn't, couldn't fight back in the second half. It was just a weird game. Much like the Florida game, it felt to me that they got away from the run game too much early on. Uh, now they, they had some bad plays by running backs that contributed to that. Jalen Wright had the huge game changing fumble right before halftime. Uh, you know, di- didn't handle that pitch well to start the second half. Th- those, those didn't help. But to me, I don't see how you end a game with 13 carries by Tennessee's top three running backs and 34 pass attempts by Joe Milton, even in a game where you've let things get away from you and you're, you're you know, you're trying to come back. I just, it, it just seemed like Missouri got Florida or got Tennessee out of their game, much like Florida did. And that's one common thread I saw in this game where it just seemed like they maybe not gave up, but got a little too discouraged about the, the, the results in the run game, which weren't terrible. Those 13 carries by the running backs went for 47 yards net. So three to four yards a carry, I mean, not great, but not so bad that you should just stop running it. And it, it seemed like they were just slow to get Dylan Sampson involved and just, kind of gave up on the run game a little bit too soon to me in a game that was still obviously up for grabs until at least the end of the third quarter. Yeah, and I thought what else was disappointing was the fact that Tennessee struggled uh, on third down on both sides of the football, Uh, didn't convert offensively near enough as it needed to, especially with it being a road game. Uh, And also defensively, they they could not get off the field, especially – uh, in third and long situations, which is uh, very disappointing. Uh, and it's it's just devastating within the moment, too. Uh, I think it's it really drains the energy and, and really uh, doesn't allow for any momentum to be built if you are Tennessee to give up those third and longs because you can feel like you're on the verge uh, of getting off the field and, and give it, giving your offense a chance. I, I know it ended up being a blowout. Uh, but Tennessee was in that football game for for a long time, longer than it should have been, quite frankly. Uh, Tennessee's defense did did the ultimate bend but don't break. It, I didn't really think it played well all afternoon, but it was doing just enough uh, to to keep the offense within striking distance. Uh, and then the dam just broke, uh, and uh, part of that was because neither side of the football uh, could convert on third down, uh, and the penalties, it, it continues to be an issue. Uh, it, it's somewhat of an issue at home, but it, it's certainly an issue away from, from Neyland Stadium. Uh, and part of that, Ryan, hard for me not to think that talent and, and players uh, have, have a lot to – personnel uh, ha- has a lot to do with those areas of the game that can Tennessee that Tennessee struggles – uh, to succeed in because Tennessee was really good on third down last season, especially offensively. And I, I think personnel has a lot to do with that. I, I would say so too. Uh, it, it is an interesting common thread throughout Josh Heupel's tenure as head coach though. That, that sort of just seems to be a characteristic of his teams that they are, they are not a low penalty team. They always have to have to deal with some volume of penalties uh, whether it's toward the bottom of the country or at least middle of the pack, they always rank fairly, um, you know, down there uh, in terms of having a lot of penalties. So that's, I'll be interested in seeing as Tennessee continues to progress as a program, maybe more consistently competes for championships, has those 10 win type seasons. If that's something that as they upgrade the talent level, to your point, they still have to deal with. And, and maybe there's just a certain level of this Tennessee's going to have to accept that normally you just have a better offense and, and things like that to over overcome those penalties or or if there is a way they can bring that down a little bit. But that does six years in look like sort of a common characteristic of a lot of Josh Heupel teams that we'll see we'll see over time if that changes. Um I, I don't know if you picked up on this comment after afterward, Ben. I went back and watched uh Eli Drinkwitz's postgame press conference and and he he mentioned in in terms of stopping Tennessee's run game, he said Jake Olson, one of our analysts, had identified a couple of tendencies that they had. 
And then he stopped to kind of clarify, referencing Michigan, not signals, okay? Um, he said, we'd identified a couple of things that we felt like were going to be crucial for us. At the end of the day, all the best laid plans are of mice and men. You got to go execute. So clearly they executed whatever they saw. But that was an interesting comment, I thought, and, and made me wonder if they really did pick up on something where Tennessee tipped its hand a little bit uh, that made it easier for Missouri to figure out what they were doing in the run game, when they were running the ball, anything like that. That Probably not the difference in the game. Tennessee did a lot of things that uh, obviously decide the outcome of this game, but something that I think people will will look back on and say, hmm, is that something Tennessee needs to do, do a little self-analysis on a little bit and, and figure out what's going on there? Because that, that seems a little bit concerning on the surface if there was something like that that Eli Drinkwitz picked up on that he actually felt was worth referencing in the post-game press conference. Yes, and and if a, a analyst from Missouri is picking up on that, you know that Kirby Smart in Georgia will also pick up on it and try to replicate those things. So it's very important that that Tennessee uh, self-diagnoses and realizes what needs to change and and does change it uh, this week. Uh, it, it is a very important week of of game planning for Hypel, Joey Hosley, and and. Um, Glenn Ellerby, everybody involved in the running game, they're, they're, they're going to have to make some tweaks uh, this week because of that, and maybe some major tweaks as well. When you shift your attention to this Georgia game, Ryan, how do you think that, how important do you think this game is for this season? I, I think it's uh, pretty obvious how important a win would be here. I, I think it kind of speaks for itself. So, uh, may, maybe this is a, a dumb question to to ask or, or pose uh, and, and not saying that we necessarily think that Tennessee is going to win on Saturday. I, I don't think that either of us will be predicting a Tennessee win, um, but I, I certainly think even if this this season has been frustrating as uh, quite a bit and often this season, like we talked about in the first segment, uh, a win over Georgia, given that they look like they're primed for a third consecutive national championship. They haven't lost in a million football games. Uh, a, a win over number one Georgia, given the circumstances of of what they are doing in Athens, I mean, it, it would almost make you forget what's happened the rest of the season, would it not? Uh, it, it would go a long way toward, toward salvaging what we were just talking about. I think a lot of people are going to feel pretty – pretty meh about an eight and four season and, and and rightfully so. I mean, I don't think, I think eight and four, if, as long as you take care of business against Vanderbilt, even if you lose to Georgia this week, eight and four is the kind of season that as, as I said, going into the year keeps the train on the tracks, right? It's not a derailment. It's not something that just makes people look at you like a second tier program. That's never going to compete for championships under Josh Heupel. It's the kind of season that gives you a chance to bounce right back next year under Nico Iamaliava and, uh, some some newer faces, and to have a chance to to s- continue to solidify yourself as, as one of those top tier teams in the conference. So eight and four is not a disaster, but nine and three sounds a heck of a lot better. And nine and three with the win over Georgia sounds a heck of a lot better. Uh, and and hey, it's just playing spoiler. It's not playing for a championship, but boy, playing spoiler against Georgia right now would be a heck of a lot of fun for Tennessee fans uh, because Georgia. They're in a, an interesting spot where they're pl- they're going to be playing Alabama for the conference championship game, and a loss in that game would really make their. I I think they would probably still get into the into the playoff if they lost that game and it was close, but boy, there are just enough teams hanging around there with one loss that you don't know for sure. I I think they'd get the benefit of the doubt, but man, it would, there'd be a lot of people upset about it unless a lot of teams lose here down the stretch. So, and regardless of that, though a loss in the regular season would suddenly make that a must win for Georgia. You can't, couldn't afford a second loss, even at, at Georgia, the defending back-to-back defending national champions. So a win over Georgia here would be pretty damaging to the Bulldogs. Uh, uh, maybe a fun chance to, to play spoiler for Tennessee. I don't think a lot of Tennessee fans though. I, I think this has to be a, just what happened this past week. If it was a close loss, it would have been different. I think the way that game did as much, or the way that game went as much as anything, just took a little bit of the wind out of the sails going into this game. It feels like this could have been just uh and maybe it'll still be a great atmosphere, but it feels like this would have been a powder keg coming into Saturday. If Tennessee had just, you know, looked better at least against Missouri. And now it feels to me like a little bit, 
like a, a, a letdown of sorts where that, you know, just not being competitive in that game has probably tempered a lot of expectations going into this game, but give, give the fans a reason to believe early in the game. And it, it could still be that way. It's just, yeah, I, I do wonder if the winds kind of come out of the sails a little bit with that performance Saturday. And if people are really doubting Tennessee's chances, uh, but it's still a great opportunity. Tennessee has a chance in this football game, right? Like, yeah, it, it would not be, I would be surprised if Tennessee wins on Saturday, but it would not be the most surprising development ever. And, and here's the part that gives you hope if you're Tennessee. It is the third straight week that Georgia is going to be tested a bit. Uh, they, they, they have had back-to-back tough games with Missouri and Ole Miss. Their schedule that we kind of looked at in the offseason and rolled our eyes about how easy it was turned out to be pretty tough in November as it, as it played out. But third straight week, having to go back to the well. Yeah, they got Brock Bowers back. But you, you've you've really had to dig down deep, and they've okay they've they flipped the switch. Suddenly they look like a uh, they've gone from a, a championship team that have yet to find their fastball to to a team that really looks like they're 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 playing their best football here this past week especially. Um, so so they look like they're putting it together and playing well at the right time. But this is a road game, and they've not done this on the road a lot this year against quality opponents. They obviously struggled with Auburn earlier this year. Their closest call, that was on the road. So get this team on the road, get some early momentum, make some early plays. You never know. I mean, I, I'm not. Th- this would not be a, a, a massive, massive upset. I think the opening line Sunday shows you that. Uh, it opened around 10 points. You know, it's a, it, it, that's fair. Plenty of respect for a team like Georgia that's, that's coming off back-to-back national championships. But also respecting Tennessee and that this is still a solid enough team to to give Georgia a real scare on the right day. So if Tennessee looks you know, better than the team that, that, that they were this past weekend, more like the team that we've seen a, a couple times this year uh, that, that's certainly capable of beating Georgia on the right day, hey, especially playing at home in what should be a fun environment, you, you, you just never know. I, I wouldn't rule it out at all because Georgia's still – they're not a perfect team. They're really, really good. But they're not unbeatable, and Tennessee's just good enough, I think, to 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 make things really interesting if they show up ready to play. No doubt about that, and I imagine Tennessee is looking forward to taking advantage of the atmosphere and and the weekend from a recruiting standpoint this weekend as well. Well, yeah, we we've been talking about this one for a while. I mean, going back to May, I think I I, I remember hearing from prospects that would visit Tennessee uh, going into the summer that we're talking about coming to this game. So uh, it, it's a, it's going to be a huge recruiting weekend for Tennessee as right now, it looks like five official visitors uh, scheduled for Tennessee, uh, including a couple of junior college defensive linemen uh, headlined by five-star offensive tackle, Jordan Seaton, uh, obviously coming back for his second game this year at Tennessee, a huge visit there uh, and, and a lot of unofficial visitors as well. We've got an early preview up on the site uh, on GoVols 24 seven that we posted Monday morning. Uh, if you want to take a look at that, and that is just a sampling of what is is likely to be on the final list later this week. So it is a it is going to be a big big recruiting weekend, no question. A lot of uh, a lot of good players who've had this on their calendars for a long time, and a big chance for Tennessee to impress some guys who are, let's face it, in a lot of cases considering both of these schools. I mean, you're getting a lot of guys on campus this week who are, you know, if they're big time players. They, they might be a little, a little bit leaning toward Georgia right now, or that's at least one of the teams they really like. And this weekend, if your Tennessee gives you a chance to catch their attention a little bit more, even if it's just with the environment as much as what you do in the game. So this is a big chance for Tennessee. Some of these guys will be seeing their first games uh, at, at Tennessee. You know, we've talked a lot in the past about how the, you know, the, the Alabama game last year impressed so many guys who'd never been to Neyland Stadium before, like Mike Matthews, who ended up picking Tennessee. So huge opportunity, regardless of the outcome of the game, and and just make it a competitive game and have a great atmosphere, and it'll be a great weekend for Tennessee. Pull off the upset, and then boy, you're talking about a uh, what could be a, a pretty memorable environment that could really impress a lot of these guys. So it's not one of those games you've got to win to have a good weekend. They can have a good weekend regardless, and, and certainly think it's a big opportunity for Tennessee with some of those top targets, especially Jordan Seaton, who will naturally get a lot of attention from Tennessee this weekend. Yeah, and if Tennessee fans want to follow the recruiting coverage that comes out of this weekend, where and how can they follow that coverage? And also, how can they take advantage of the deal we have going on right now at 24-7 Sports? 
Yeah, got, glad you mentioned that. It just runs through midnight tonight. So if you're hearing this on Monday, still several hours left to, to take advantage of this deal. 50% off for your first year. Or, and this is kind of cool for the, the the people who don't know about this and uh, the, the members on our side who, who love this feature as an added bonus of being a, a GoVols 24-7 subscriber. You could also choose to sign up at full price as a monthly subscriber. And you're like, well, that's not a great deal. It's full price. What that would allow you to do is get instant access to Paramount Plus and that entire streaming library and everything that comes with that, which is an added perk of being a paid subscriber in the 24-7 Sports Network. So if you sign up now, you can choose to do it monthly and go that route if you want Paramount Plus instantly. If you don't go that route, you have to wait till the promotional period is over. But regardless, a great time to join the site and take advantage of all that coverage, recruiting, football, obviously transfer portal season coming up basketball just getting started it's a perfect time to join the site so definitely take advantage of that offer uh by by midnight tonight yeah and it looks like don't connect may make that offer worth it alone no <laughs> he, doubt he, he may be pro- worth the, the price of admission the way that he's been playing as we transition into portal season and basketball season as well speaking of basketball uh west and i will be back later this afternoon with a basketball podcast and then uh the crew will have a typical Thursday podcast to preview Saturday's game against Georgia. And then Wes and myself will have a game day podcast Friday evening and Saturday morning. So plenty of Tennessee, Georgia coverage coming your way this week at go balls 24 seven. Ryan, appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. He's Ryan Callahan. I'm Ben McKee. There's that button. And now I can say, Thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, nobody, and I mean nobody covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.
check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.